0: 1 Thessalonians 4, 1-8 Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality The word of the Lord. Are you
1: hungry? That's what, my, um, that's what my wife asks me from time to time. When we are riding down the road on long trips, and I'm driving, I like to get where I'm going. Every night she'll, really, she'll look over at me and she'll say, are you hungry? Now what she is really asking is can we please pull off because I'm hungry. But in a kind of a of a passive-aggressive way, she is not really concerned or asking about the state of my own appetite, but she wants me to know the state of hers. This is what the disciples did with Jesus in John chapter Chapter four, you might remember. The disciples were hungry, and so they assumed that Jesus must be hungry too. And so in a sense, they looked at Jesus, they pulled him off to the side, and they said, in a sense, Rabbi, are you hungry? And what did Jesus tell them? Jesus replied, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus was hungry, all right, beloved. He was hungry for the will of God. Last week, as we began looking at this passage, began talking about uh, the word of God here in this context, we we talked about um, having a walk or a life that is pleasing to God. And a life that is pleasing to God, as the apostle says here in this text, is a life that is found walking in the will of our God. The pleasure of God is found in the will of God. And thus, beloved, every Christian should be hungry. Hungry for the will of God. Desiring to know and to perform the will of God above everything else, including the desire for food. And we walk through the text a little bit at the beginning of it, seeking to understand what is the will of God and what the Bible means by the will of God. And we won't rehearse all that, but we will jump right in at verse 3 this morning, for the Bible tells us uh, specifically exactly what the will of God is in this context. The will of God, for which every Christian should be thirsting and Hungering is our sanctification. Does the Bible get any more clear than that? You want to know the will of God. The Bible says in verse 3, For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. God's will Beloved, in this context and in this instance here, God's will for you and I is to be holy, sanctified, set apart unto Him, set apart unto Him, with He being. Our primary relationship. In other words, the will of God for you and I is that our relationship with God would govern and supersede and inform every other relationship we have in the world. That's what it means to be holy. To be in relationship with God in such a way that your relationship with God now dictates, directs, governs, and supersedes every other relationship you have. God is not interested in cutting you and I off from every relationship we have with other people. That is not what God desires. But God desires for whatever other relationship you have, for that relationship to be governed by the relationship you have with God. That's holiness in this context. Now, how does that work? Let's walk that out. Let's walk that out this morning. For what you will see then if we understand that holiness is about relationship with God and that relationship governing every other relationship we have, you will understand that holiness is a good thing. It's a good thing for the Christian. Because holiness is really being God-possessed. That's what holiness is. That's That's what Peter says, right, in 1 Peter chapter 2. That we are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession? To be holy means to be God-possessed. And we understand that because if something is demon-possessed, we call it what? Unholy. Holiness is being God-possessed. That you are the possession of God. A God-possessed person is a holy man, a woman. Holiness, beloved, is good. Also, because holiness is beautiful. Holiness is beautiful. The psalmist says in Psalm ninety-six, in verse nine. It's not the only place it says it, but this is one of the places. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. In the beauty of holiness. Because holiness is beautiful. Do you understand that there are no ugly people in heaven? Why? Because there are only holy people in heaven. And holiness, beloved, is beautiful. And if you and I ever had eyes to really see it, It would be the most beautiful thing of all. We are to worship God and the beauty of that holiness. We are to pursue it now because the Bible tells us that that is what we shall be. Holy. Holiness is good. Holiness is beautiful. Holiness is a serious calling. It's not something that you simply um, regard or you simply contemplate on Sunday morning as the preacher is preaching through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But it indeed should be the warp and woof of your life. For the Bible says in verse 8, to regard this calling is not to disregard men, but you are disregarding the word of God. And God will not hold them guiltless. For he desires his people to be holy. And those who do not pursue holiness, the Bible says, that God will avenge. This is serious. God takes the lives of his people, the witness and the integrity of his people very seriously. He expects his people to be pursuing holiness because he expects his people to be pursuing relationship with him. Holiness is a serious calling. And that's why you and I must be asking every day, what does holiness look like in my life? What does it look like? Every day you should be asking that question. How does my relationship with God govern all of my other relationships? You should be asking that question. Every day. Holiness is a serious calling, beloved. Holiness is the work of the Holy Spirit. Because no one makes themselves holy. Contrary to what you might believe, beloved, it is God. The Spirit who first does the sanctifying work. That's why it says here in verse 8 that the Holy Spirit has been given to you. God is saying you can do it because I have given to you the Holy Spirit. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to sanctify God's people, to set them apart, to set them in right relationship with God, and then to instruct them how they are to walk out that relationship every moment of every day. You know what happens when we grieve Holy Spirit? We walk in unholiness. But what the Holy Spirit desires is for you and I to be growing up in our relationship with God. Growing closer and closer and closer to Christ every moment of every day. And when we take a turn and we walk away or contrary to that relationship, that grieves Holy Spirit. This job is to move you to Jesus. the reason God gives the Holy Spirit to us, just for this purpose. And therefore, the work of the Holy Spirit is to produce sanctifying evidence of fruit in the lives of God's people. That's why they're calling Galatians chapter 5, what? Fruit of the Spirit. And as we are walking out that fruit of the Spirit, then that is what? Governing our relationships with other people because it is dictated by our relationship with God. What are the fruit of the Spirit? And how do they dictate holiness in our lives? Well, here in this passage, Paul gives us three of them and reminds us that holiness is about relationship with God, whereby the Holy Spirit is producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as we are walking out that relationship with those around us. And we are bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And so holiness is, in this context, holiness is all the fruit of the Spirit, but in this context particularly, holiness is three, fruit of the Spirit. And the first one is holiness is faithfulness. Faithfulness is the fruit of the Spirit. If you're going to be holy, and the Holy Spirit is working in your life, then the desire of the Holy Spirit is to create faithfulness in God's people. Holiness is faithfulness. Verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. The will of God, beloved, is that you and I would stay away from porneas. Porneas. That's the word. Now, I don't need to tell you what word we get from porneas. But the idea here of porneas is more than just pornography, beloved, but it is any illicit intimate sexual activity outside the bounds of marriage between one woman and one man. Pornography is included in that, but it's much more broad than that. It is any, any sexual activity or intimacy outside of the bounds of marriage between one woman and one man man it is the will of God that you and I would abstain from that you know there are few things in the scripture that are related to sexual faithfulness like sexual morality is few things are related to faithfulness in the Bible like sexual morality is when the Bible speaks of faithfulness beloved one of the areas it mentions over and over and over again is being sexually faithful, sexually faithful to God, sexually faithful to covenant, and in a world that is saturated, beloved, with sexual images and sexual messages and sexual innuendo. Portraits and posters and advertisements and enticements. Living faithful to God in this world, in this area, will set you apart. You will be set apart, you will be considered a strange thing. This is true now. This was true for the Thessalonians. beloved. Yeah, they didn't have all the trappings that we have. They didn't have all the movies and the television. They didn't have the internet and the computers, the phones and the magazines. They didn't have Cialis and Viagra. They didn't have all of these things. But they did have concubines. They had temple prostitutes. They had sexually acceptable and socially acceptable orgies with slaves and servants. It was sexually acceptable, socially acceptable to have slaves in your home and servants in your home for nothing more than your sexual pleasure. And like many of us, most of the people who got saved in that context of that early church would have been saved out of a background where illicit sexual activity was not only accepted but even expected. Faithful to God and to resist the pull and the assistance of the world upon sexual immorality, beloved, for them then and even for us now is to swim against the current. It is to stand outside the norms and the customs of our society. It is countercultural. If you would stand upon the word of God and abstain from sexual immorality, it is countercultural. It is counterintuitive. And yet, beloved, it is heaven revealing. It is Christ declaring. It is beauty displaying. Holiness, beloved. It's beautiful. And there is nothing more beautiful than faithfulness. Faithfulness in relationship, particularly as it comes the area of sexual immorality. We know this, beloved, we know this. The world knows this, despite what it often says to the contrary. John and Ann Batar are believed to be the longest living married couple in the United States. This year they celebrated their 83rd wedding anniversary. 83 years, they have literally become celebrities. They're on the internet, they're on YouTube, CNN did an interview, wanting to know the secret of how do you stay faithfully married for 83 years. Why? Because even the world knows there is something beautiful, there is something right. About 50 years of faithfulness, 60 years of faithfulness, 83 years of faithfulness. Beloved, nobody celebrates 50 years of sexual promiscuity. They are not asking people, how were you sexually promiscuous for 83 years? Why? Because... There is something uniquely beautiful about faithfulness. The world doesn't know what it is, but we know it's called holiness. Holiness is worth celebrating. because got holiness. This is why God says, Be faithful. Be faithful. Because this is beautiful. And it will be celebrated. God, beloved, is faithful to his people. And thus. Because of that, his people are to be faithful to him and to each other. This is beautifully illustrated for us, beloved. Genesis chapter 39. You know the story of Joseph. As a servant in Potiphar's house. And Joseph's wife is after, I mean, and Potiphar's wife is after Joseph. To lie with him to be sexually immoral with him, to be unfaithful with Joseph. And when Potiphar's wife tempted Joseph, you know what Joseph saw instead? He saw the beauty of holiness to be more precious than the the fleeting beauty of Potiphar's wife. And he declared, How can I do this thing and sin against God? God is holy. God is faithful. Joseph said, therefore, I am called to be holy and faithful as well. Holiness is faithfulness, beloved, but holiness is also self-control. Isn't that a fruit of the Spirit? Then you would expect it to be the work of the Spirit in the lives of God's people as he is sanctifying them. And that's what it is in verse 4 and 5. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Genesis, I mean, uh, Galatians chapter 5 tells us that The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And what is self-control? Self-control is simply the grace of tempering our passions, of tempering our zeal that would govern our actions if unchecked by the wisdom and the will of God. Our passions and our zeal, if unchecked, will go out of control if they are unchecked by the will and the wisdom of God. Self-control, beloved, is the grace of pursuing the will of God when it is in opposition to our own will. That's self-control. I want to do this. God says do this. I'm going to do what God says. I want to have this. God says, no, you should have this. I'm going to have what God says. I should have. Self-control is the grace of tempering our will even when that will is opposition to God's will. I mean our oh. own will. Amen. Holiness may be more, beloved, than sexual self-control, but it is never less than that. And this is what the apostle is getting at here, is that we have to control ourselves. How do you control yourself? Well, the first thing you got to do, beloved, is you got to control your words. That's what the Bible says, Right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that may give grace to those who hear, not temptation to those who hear. The idea of self-control begins with controlling our mouths, that we are not engaged in conversations that is not unbecoming Christians. And I am not having a conversation with a woman that I would be fearful of my wife being there having that conversation with. That you're not having a conversation with a man. That you would be totally uncomfortable if your husband was on the other end of that text. But the words that are coming out of our mouths are words that are giving over to self-control, so that when I speak, I'm speaking the words of grace. I'm speaking the words that build people up and point them to Christ and righteousness and holiness because I'm controlling my words. Because we do we understand and we know that sexual immorality often begins with words. Words that should not have been spoken, texts that should not have been sent, phone calls that should not have been made, emails that should not have been sent. Control your words. The Bible all says. So let's control your thoughts. Second Corinthians chapter ten bringing every thought captive to knowledge and the will of God. This is not simply talking about those thoughts and ideas that are out there in the world seeking to rear their heads against the will of God. This is also talking about those thoughts in your own mind that every moment of every day are seeking to rear their ugly head and supplant the will of God in your life. We all have them. You say you don't have them, you got your head in the sand. You haven't seen anything today. I was driving to church today, and and a martyr bus pulls up. And they got an illicit uh, dress woman on the side of the martyr bus. And I'm thinking, how do you escape this? And you are fooling yourself, beloved. You are setting yourself up for a fall if you think those things have no draw or pull on you. They do, beloved. They do on all of us. Many times. Have you been scanning through the television? Looking for really nothing because nothing's there. And all of a sudden you stop because two people are engaged in a sudden intimate moment. And just for a second or two, it piques your interest. It pulls upon something that is deep inside here. And your thoughts begin to wander. And if you're seeking holiness and sanctification, you move on. But for a couple of seconds there, it got gotcha. you. Beloved, the Bible is telling us in every moment, taking every thought captive to the will of God. Self-control in our words, in our thoughts, and in our body. Our feelings. Paul says in First Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27, I beat my body to keep it under control. Because if you will allow your feelings to run, beloved, your feelings will run you into hell. Your feelings will run you into the grave. And people try to say all the time, well, I can't help how I felt. Yes, you can. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And unless the word of God is a liar, and unless the Holy Spirit is impotent, Paul said, I have those feelings, but every moment of every day, I am beating them back. Because I will not be controlled by the lust of my feelings, but rather by the word of God. Indeed, by the spirit of God. By the Spirit of God and the Word of God, beloved, we control our thoughts and our feelings and our words. Even when those around us are not prepared to control theirs. You know, control is what the enemy wants. That's what he wants. That's what he comes in to do. That's what the world wants. The world wants control what the flesh wants. The flesh wants control. That's what Satan wants. Satan wants to control. He wants to be, he wants you to be governed by your passions. Beloved, the self-controlled life is the life, beloved, that is seeking to control the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life even when those around you are not. The Bible says here that you have to learn how to possess your own vessel with honor. This is so important and difficult, it's difficult to do because there are many around us who don't want to possess their own vessels with honor. And therefore, they tempt you to possess their, best, their vessels and therefore dispossess your own. So important, beloved, because many people give themselves the excuse, well, she was flaunting it. She was coming on to me. Look at the way she was dressed. But with honor and holiness, beloved, even when they dishonor themselves, the holy man of God, the holy woman of God treats them with honor still. We live in a world, brothers, where women not only have not been instructed how to possess their vessels with honor, but don't want to. And as men of God, it is our holy responsibility that even when they don't possess it themselves, that we treat it with respect and honor still. Women will not always control themselves in your presence when you and I simply lose control because they don't? You do know, women, that men will not always control themselves in your presence. Are you going to lose control simply because they do? This is not what Joseph did. Potiphar's wife, Joseph refused the lack of control in Potiphar's wife did not create a deficit of control in Joseph's. The Bible says that she came at Joseph every day, every day, day in and day out and no doubt brothers the intensity of the attacks grew exponentially every day. And simply because Potiphar's wife lacked self-control did not lead Joseph to do the same. And so the Bible not only tells us, it shows us that it is possible to possess your honor, with possess your vessel with self-control in holiness and honor because holiness, beloved, is self-control. It is not just faithfulness and self-control. Holiness is love, too. Isn't that the fruit of the Spirit? Love? In verse 6, let no one transgress or wrong his brother or sister in this matter. Let no one transgress or wrong his brother or sister in this matter. Here is the matter put plainly. Here is the apostle putting it plain. In other words, beloved, let nobody transgress or defraud. Their brother and sister, and sleeping with their wife or their husband. Adultery is not only a family destroying sin, but adultery is a community destroying sin. This is what the apostle is getting at, beloved. This is so important. Because adultery breaks trust between a husband and a wife. But not only does it break trust between a husband and a wife, beloved, adultery breaks trust between brothers and sisters. It is not simply the trust that is broken in the family. It is trust that is broken in community. Because community... The church community is based upon faith and trust of one another, beloved. And can a man and can a woman truly be trusted in the community if they can't be trusted in their family? If he can't be trusted with his wife, God forbid I'm going to trust him with mine. She can't be trusted with her husband. Every woman in the place is going to keep her eye on him. Amen. This is why it's such a bad thing, beloved. Adultery not only violates the trust in family. It violates the trust in the community. You ever wonder why God would have in the Old Testament for the sin of adultery, capital punishment? Beloved, if we had capital punishment for adultery, our streets would run with blood in our country. But God knew and understand that the nature of a people who are going to live for him and live faithful for him and walk in holiness to him, nothing is more important than the faithfulness of covenant and the trust that those people have for one another. So Paul says, Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it, beloved. Faithfulness and self-control means that you have set the boundaries in relationship with others and therefore you will not cross them. Boundaries you have set and in faithfulness and self-control you're not going to cross them. You're not going to do it out of love for your brother out of love for your sister and out of love for God. That's what love does. True love. True love will keep you from snooping around another man's garden. True love will keep you from plucking fruit From another woman's vineyard. True love will make sure that you don't violate another's covenant, that you won't undermine another sister's faith, another brother's trust. Love. And instead, love will govern your actions, beloved. Why? Because love doesn't transgress. Love doesn't defraud. Love doesn't wrong. Love doesn't violate. Instead, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, love esteems others more highly than ourselves. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12, that this is really love. That you're willing to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is the will of God. This is love, beloved. This is sanctification. That you will not sexually be sexually involved with another man's wife because you would not have won a man sexually involved with yours. That's love. I'm gonna treat your wife like you or like I expect you to treat mine. I'm going to be with your husband like I would expect you to be with mine. This is sanctification. This is the beauty of holiness. It is seen in love that we have for one another, beloved. You know why adultery is ugly? Adultery is ugly because it is a display of self love over love for God and others. That's what it is. That's what it boils down to. It's the height of selfishness. David sinned because he. Loved himself more than he loved God. David sinned because he loved himself more than he loved his brother Uriah. David sinned because he loved himself more than he did Bathsheba. But you know who didn't? You know why? Because Joseph loved Potiphar more than he loved himself. Joseph loved Potiphar's wife more than Joseph loved himself. Joseph loved God more than he loved himself. This is what holiness is, beloved. It is being in right relationship With God, whereby I love God more than I love my own flesh. I love you more than I love myself. This is the will of God for your life and for mine. Indeed, holiness and sanctification you know what, beloved? It's not too late. I know what you're thinking. Some of us, dare I say many of us, have fallen into sexual sin of all sorts, of some sort. Some of us are even caught up in it now. Find yourselves in the grips of it. Pornography. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality. These, beloved, are powerful forces. And they're waging warfare in our lives. Many of us have fallen. We've lost our innocence in this sense. We have violated trust. We have violated covenants. We have not been faithful. We have lacked self-control. We have not been loving. But I am here this morning to tell you that it is not too late that you can still be holy. You can still be holy. It is never too late, beloved, to be holy. Do you understand that? It is never too late to be holy because it is never too late to be in right relationship with God. You have not fallen so far that you cannot get right with God. It's never too late. It's never too late. Never too late, beloved. I know this is true. And. We all know this is true. We see it all the time. Whether you see it on your streets, or you see it in a neighborhood, or you see it on TV, you see these people who flip houses. You got all these broken down houses right there. They go down there and they buy them on the cheap. Then they invest money in them and they flip them and they beautify them up and then they sell them for profit. They flip them houses. They do it all the time. There are people who have made a fortune flipping houses. That's what God does, beloved. God flips houses. He flips houses. But you know when he flips houses and he and he goes in and he finds them torn down, he finds them wrecked, he finds them unholy, he flips them and he picks them up and he turns them around and he fixes them up and he beautifies them, but he doesn't do so to sell them. The Lord comes and lives in those houses. And He makes that was unholy, holy again. I don't care how bad you think your house is, this morning Christ will flip it. He will flip it. He'll take all your broken down, sinful relationships all your lustful thoughts and deeds, and he will flip them and make them holy again. That's what David did. David said, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart and restore in me alright spirit in other words God flipped this house I know you can I know you will this is what the church is full of beloved. if you are a Christian this morning I don't care how holy you look or dress let me tell you something you are a flipped house what the church is, full of homes that have been flipped. But Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Oh, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, Or nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, And such were some of you. But the Lord has flipped your house. And now you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of our God. It's not too late. It's not too late. He'll flip your house, even this morning. That is what grace has come to do. beloved. This is what the cross is all about. You know, What the cross is, beloved, in this sense. It is the bank of God. It don't matter how much it costs to flip your house, Jesus has paid for it. It's the bank of God. No matter how much they want for your house, Jesus has paid for it. That's why he can flip it this morning. Once he flips it, then he doesn't just leave you, beloved. He comes to dwell in that house so as to make sure that it doesn't degenerate anymore. He keeps the painting up. Keeps the carpet clean. Keeps the spider webs and the cobwebs and forming in the corners. For this. Grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, teaching us to say no to ungodliness, teaching us to say no to worldly passions, and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I know we've gone long, but I just had to say that it is not too late. No matter where you are or what you think you've done this morning, holiness is here. Christ is here, and he will sanctify you. He will renew you. All will be forgiven. And no matter what they say out there, when the Lord looks at you, you are beautiful. Amen. Because you are holy. I pray that there will not be anyone here for those who are rejoicing in the beauty of the holiness and walking according to the will of God.
0: Let us pray.